Welcome back to the Low Bottom High Rise podcast with Moira Kasaba. I have such an amazing guest for you guys today. Um, she is somebody that I met on the gram. And, you know, people always say that, you know, social media can be so toxic and everything. And I just feel the opposite. Um, my friend today is Michelle behind Recovery is the new black. And I think I stumbled upon her feed. Gosh, I can't even recall. I mean, it, it's been a while and I have just been applauding her all the way. I've been supporting her, just loving the content that she's putting out into the world. She is such a strong voice for recovery and just doing incredible things in the world. And today we get to dig into her story um, of sobriety, her story of what she's doing in the world, and just a lot of our personal beliefs behind, you know, what's out there in the world, the mommy wine culture, um, just kind of both of our stances on sobriety and, and how we feel about that. And um, I think you're going to learn a lot. So let's dig in. Well, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Right when you popped up on my screen, I said, I feel like we talk every day because I see you on Instagram every day. I am a huge supporter of the work that you're doing in the world. And it really is just an honor and a privilege to have you today. Thank you so much. Ditto to you as well. It's so amazing how we like find the people that we're supposed to find, like the universe just brings these people to us. And I feel the same way. I'm so honored to be in the recovery community with you yeah. alongside of you, as well as just virtually being able to connect with you. I feel like seriously, exactly. We yeah. are like, this is this is like, you're, you're like my sober sister over here across the I country. Don't. I totally agree. I mean, it feels like we've hung out in real life. It feels like we've known each other forever. So let's start here. Who is Michelle Smith? Can you share kind of, you know, obviously, well, how would you define today? Like, what do you, what is your definition of who you are today and the work that you're doing in the world? Ooh, today, today I'm a much different person. I'm a very um, honest person today, very much of paying it forward and being of service for other people personally and professionally. And that is not a space that I was in. And I think that part of that is just growing up, having a family and being a mother but also leading by example and falling into, you know, a lot of kind of like black holes in regards to grief, trauma, you know, drugs and alcohol and finding my way up. I know how hard it was for me. And so I don't want the person right behind me to struggle the same way I did. And so I'm just a more mature, honest, vulnerable person that is just available to people who are like-minded or who are wanting the same types of things I do. And that's a lot different of a person than I was, say, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Well, gosh, I love that so much. And now I'm like, of course, of course. That's why we're like so in sync with each other, because I think a lot of what who we are today in the world and what we're trying to do in the world is so incredibly similar. You know, I have this deep desire and it's why I have this podcast is to like share stories of, you know, kind of transformation really. And I've always been, I've been at so many dark spots in my own life and so many troubled spots. And it's like, I'm just so desperate in those times to talk to somebody that's on the other side and, you know, show me the way, what did you do? How can I do this too? Like, just help me figure this out. And, 
there, I'm also a big believer in finding those people, like whatever it is you're going through, whether you're trying to build a business or write a book or get sober, it's like, you have to go find those people that have gone before you and kind of, I don't want to say find the shortcut because it doesn't seem like a shortcut, but find the roadmap, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back. Can we, are you okay? If I ask you to kind of tell your story. Absolutely. But tell me the story. And I really want to hear too, kind of as we wrap that up, like what is it you're doing today and and what you're doing in the world? Absolutely. So I'm one of three girls. I'm the middle girl. And, you know, I, I grew up what I would normally say as a normal household. My father was a physician and my mother stayed home, you know, toted us around to all of our academics and our sports. And, you know, from the outside looking in, we had a really good life. And, you know, on the inside, there was also some trauma and some grief and alcoholism that a lot of people didn't see. Mm. And so, you know, I was told in life to really be who you want to be, reach for the impossible. Everybody believed in me. And I was also told that, you know, you're going to go to school and you're going to be a doctor just like everybody else. And don't be an alcoholic or an addict like us. And that was like the only education and awareness that I received from my childhood is that we come from a really long line of addicts and alcoholics. And this is a perfect example of what not to be, Michelle. And if you ever do dabble in that, don't call us because we're not going to bail you out of jail. So that wow. was my, yeah, that was well, my Well, now let me ask you this. Was that coming from a recovery standpoint as we're not going to enable you? Or is that coming from a standpoint of like, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. Cause there was a lot of kind of a threat. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you know how threats work when you tell a kid not to go run, you know, by a swimming pool, of course, they're going to go do it. They have to learn the lesson, right? We're going to be rebellious. We, oh, parents don't know what they're talking about. They're not cool, you know? And so that was my education. My prevention towards drug and alcohol was just like, don't do it because you're going to get hooked on it. So I met my high school sweetheart and went to college, dabbled in alcohol just a little bit. Academics were really important to me. So I got through college in three years and started, yeah, I was just like, I'm either going to party or I'm going to make this You're you're a good alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do everything to the extreme, right? Right. Alcoholic and training. And (laughs) so um, got done with that. And I started working. um, I started having a passion for a lot of domestic violence and self-injurious behavior and homelessness. And so I started working at a lot of local crisis centers throughout my area and my community. And after a couple of years of that, I was just like, gosh, where are the perpetrators? Where can we stop this before it happens? Because these women and some men were just extremely vulnerable, had been through so much in life. So Michelle, this is another side of the world that you haven't seen is that these are a way that other people do live and need that additional support. And that got me really curious into working for the Department of Corrections, which is where my alcohol use started. Wow. And so, yeah, I was just like, okay, I want to know what these guys are doing. What kind of lives have they had? Where, Where does drugs and alcohol fit into the spectrum? Role modeling, do they have parents? All of those things. And again, 
what I didn't realize was dabbling in with alcohol was very much workaholism of Mm. striving to be the best, building these treatment programs inside of maximum security prisons, wanting these guys to release with something better than what they came in with. That's incredible. I mean, can I just applaud your heart though for a second? Like how old were you when you were doing this? Ooh, 20. Two and 23. That is just incredible. I mean, most 22 and 23 year olds do not have like missional hearts like that to go out and serve on that level. And, you know, it's so interesting and we could talk forever about this, but it is like, I I know that you see that overlap, like you're saying into workaholism too. And Mm -hmm. it's like that drive that we have as alcoholics can be simultaneous, like our biggest blessing and our biggest curse, you know? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Mm. And so when I was building a family in there, you're not in there, but you know, starting to develop my family, I, you know, money was tight. And so I'd work one unit mental health and by night I'd be working in the substance abuse program. And I got, I had my first baby. And so that was like the beginning of like, opening up Pandora's box of, you know, you've been warned, don't go there. You've never needed anything before. And, you know, insert the mommy wine culture, which I for 100% will never blame that for my alcoholism. But I do feel like my addiction was in hibernation and it was almost like poking the bear, right? Like stay away because you know that this potentially can happen. And I started to get lonely, disconnected. I, you know, falling into the motherhood realm of postpartum depression and I'm responsible for this kiddo. And one invite after another was all about alcohol. It was, let's go get your toes done, right? It's that whole thing, walk through Target. That was like the staple to keeping some of my relationships together was an innocent glass of champagne or wine or beer at a ball game. And it really filled a void that I never needed it to before. My mother passed right when I was becoming a mom. Mm -hmm. And everybody, when you're grieving, they're like, here's a glass. It's it's okay. You're grieving. My husband goes to war. It's okay. He's grieving. And when you hear that so much, you one turns into two and turn turns into three. And then it becomes a different way of coping that is completely unhealthy. And so when you fast forward that into, you know, several years, I never thought that an innocent glass of wine would turn into me drinking, pouring vodka in my cornflakes in the morning. But, but yeah, so, you know, one turns into two and two turns into three and you know how the whole thing goes. It's like, okay, what I used to do was go for a walk with my kids or, you know, FaceTime a friend or do some baking or gardening. And my healthy ways of coping turned into, well, it's just easier to go have a glass of wine. Like I don't have to do any work and it's so much easier to just allow myself to decompress and just unwind. And then of course the messages, you deserve it. It's not going to hurt you, right? Chill out. So years and years go by and my dependence to alcohol is increasing while my respect for the people who I love and my responsibilities are slowly falling to the wayside. But hello, denial, mind your own business. I'm okay. Everybody around me is doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, and it's just a really slippery slope where I just wasn't being as present for my kids. And 
I started getting into legal problems in regards to, you know, being alone with my kids. And that's considered neglect, even if you're there and you're under the influence. Yeah. I Um, I ended up at the hospital. Did you? Oh yeah. Four times. So four times. Wow. So your kids are how old at this time? Is your husband home or away? He's back at the time where my drinking got to its heaviest and my son was four and my daughter was seven. The last day I had my last drink. Wow. Wow. Were you working at the time? I was, believe it or not. Yes. Um, By that time I was drinking on the job. On the job. Yeah. I mean, I get that as an alcoholic. I'm like, yeah, makes sense. Um, That's it's what's so crazy to me is that you went into the recovery world as a, a profession before you became an alcoholic, truly, before you kind of triggered your own alcoholism, that is just such a wild, you know, kind of turn of events. But I'm sure because you said you grew up with it in your family, it's like you had this heart to serve that population, not knowing that, you know, you would become that population. That's absolutely amazing. And it, it is really fascinating of how many people, of course, you know that this disease does not discriminate and no one is immune at any time. And, you know, I know doctors and lawyers and pilots and teachers and therapists that they struggle too, but it's so hard. It's the stigma so strong and it runs so deep for just quote unquote normal people. But when you add in a profession or a pilot Mm -hmm. It is terrifying to think this person is struggling with substance use disorder. And there's a different level of accountability that falls yeah. into play because you don't want to be known as the the, ther- the drunk therapist or the drunk pilot or teacher. Right. And our shame already keeps us sick. And then you add on that we're in a high profile position or we hold this title that's incredible and has credentials behind it we have to keep this under wraps because we have to get this problem solved or put out this fire before people figure it out. Right, right. And I know for me, I mean, just gosh, my mind uh, as an addict forever and always just thinks about like, I wasn't in that situation, but I can only imagine the fear of like, if I address this problem, then I'm going to have a label and I'm never going to be able to socially or in any realm have alcohol again, because it's, you know, and to, to have that threat of alcohol being taken away, I can remember, and this is so crazy to think about, but I can remember my fear of going to jail, like getting in trouble with, you know, and and getting locked up. My fear of that was I wouldn't be able to drink. Like that was the fear. How, how insane is that? That that was the the thing that was like, I can't go to jail because I wouldn't be able to have alcohol. Not, I can't go to jail, period. That would not right. be a good thing. Yep. Crazy. It so is. let me go back to the hospital stints. What happened there? Yes. Um, you know, each one of them ended up just me. I was very much a closet drunk, a secret drunk towards the end of just self-sabotaging is all I was doing. I wasn't going out and partying and staying up late and doing all these crazy things. My crazy things were just literally drinking to the point of blackout. It was not for any other purpose, but to chuck as fast as you can, because I built this life that I absolutely love. And all I want to do at the same time is escape all of it, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. But at that point, when you're chemically addicted, 
mm-hmm. you you don't think rationally anymore. It's yeah. all about filling that dependence and feeling better. Because if you don't, you're going to start going into withdrawals. And so at my four hospital stays were all at home. They were all innocent, obviously, because I'm only going to drink just a little bit, right? Isn't that what mm-hmm. we always say? Always, yes. And it's like, you know, so it was drinking there, not eating, and literally passing out. And either my children calling my husband or my husband coming home from work and finding me. And just like you, I'm the opposite in the sense of I was fearful for jail because I've worked in the correctional system for so yeah. long. It sounds silly, but I could book myself. I could talk to the judge. You know, I knew that my consequence was going to eventually stop me, but I didn't realize it was going to be child protective services for me. And so I, each time, each four times that I was, the police came to my house, my blood alcohol level was extremely high. One of my last ones was 0.43 which is just insane. insane. That is a sick individual. And each time I was taken to the hospital for medical detox and I couldn't yeah. go to the jail and child protective services, mama bear, talk about her coming out of the woodwork saying, oh. Michelle, what are you doing? Yeah. You, you need so much love and help right now that nobody else, including yourself, knows what to do and to surrender to the idea that you are powerless over this thing and everybody has a thing and a vice and yours just happens to be alcohol. Yeah. Wow. 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 So what what happened in the end? What was the final kind of catalyst? And I know that's kind of hard to pinpoint sometimes, but what allowed that door to open to sobriety? You know, you would think that that was my aha moment. And that was the time I surrendered and said, okay, it's time. I ended up accepting the need for help and winning. I went to treatment. Yeah. I did well in treatment and stayed sober for 30 days after. And it was fail to plan, plan to fail. Mm -hmm. Fourth of July comes. I gave in. I caved and I went back on a bender for six months until it was that one day you wake up. And it's that aha moment that everybody talks about. It's that light switch. Nothing different was said from the first time I entered the rooms towards treatment, which was a total of seven years. Nothing was really different in the messages I received. The thing that was different is I was ready to listen to the message. I was ready to take action. And I wasn't before. And that was the moment that I started my life and my road to sobriety and I haven't looked back. Wow. So it's been seven years. So it's I'm hitting my six years. Wow. But I was struggling with yeah. independence for seven. Wow. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, six days of sobriety mm-hmm. is amazing for an alcoholic, but yes. seven, six years is absolutely incredible. And it's so interesting you talk about that because I think working with families of alcoholics so often it's like you know the hospital visit or the car wreck or the jail time or whatever and they think this this has got to be it this has got to be the thing that like wakes them up to the fact that they are sick and they need help and it's so rarely that you know all the things that happened along my path 
you know, happened along my path and I just kept going because so often the shame from that event, from that hospital stint, from that car accident, from that, you know, getting arrested, whatever it is, the shame is so incredibly heavy that you have no choice but to continue to drink. And we truly lose the power of choice. I think that's the other thing for, you know, our audiences to understand is we truly lose the power of choice when we're in active alcoholism. And it's so hard to wrap your head around if it's your loved one, because it seems like they should care enough about their kids. They should care enough about their family. And the love and the care for your family doesn't change. You, It's almost as if you are possessed by something that you have no control over. And so, yeah, I had that same experience where like, it was just kind of like a slow death of my soul and multiple attempts at sobriety. And I just, I I couldn't go on, you know, they talk about it in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're caught between the rock and the hard place. It's like, I can't go on living this way, but I can't fathom not drinking. Like I can't fathom it. Here is something you guys can't miss. Oh my gosh. December. It's my favorite month of the entire year to run a boot camp, and here's why. I get it. I get the holiday stress. I get the holiday overwhelm. I get that you might want to feel like you're going to indulge in all the things. I have had so many holiday seasons where I haven't been present. I haven't felt my best because... I just don't have those magical pieces in place to ground me, you know, those nutrition choices that I can I can opt to to balance out the sweets. You guys, I want you to indulge. I want you to go to the holiday party. I want you to enjoy the pumpkin pie, the whatever it is that your grandma makes. But you can do that in a way, and I love teaching this, that you still you still feel amazing, right? That you can balance that out with superfoods. You can make really clean, insanely delicious desserts. You can get your workouts in. You can have the mindset practices that take five minutes in the morning that are going to center you and make you feel incredible and present during the holidays. So join me for my December Soul Body Boot Camp. I'm also throwing in my 25 Days of Fitness Ab Challenge, which is so super fun. It's like an extra five minutes a day. Uh, but the link to the boot camp is in my bio. Guys, this isn't some crazy, crazy thing that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do that until January. You can do this now. It's all intentional for December to help you through the holidays, to help you thrive instead of just survive. So make sure you click the link in the bio. Join me. I'm super pumped about this and I can't wait to see you in there. Thank God for 12-step programs, right? So is that yes. what you did at that I point? Did. I did. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, the room saved my life. I didn't want to be in there because I, I, all I saw were the differences. I didn't see the similarities and we all come in, we come in different shapes and sizes and we look different. I'm not somebody who can sit on, you know, a train and someone's going to grab their purse when I sit next to them. You know, we don't know who's going to be and who's not going to be, but the rooms are what literally saved my life. And it's, it is really beautiful that there is so many alternative pathways to recovery and that we can kind of have fun and mix things up. And that, you know, hopefully people like us talking about our story and recovering out loud, it's showing other women, other men, the power that you don't have to wait, like you say, to get off the elevator on rock bottom, get off on a higher level. Don't Mm -hmm. wait for this horrible thing to happen 
before you look at your relationship with alcohol. It does not need to become so problematic that you lose everything and everyone that is important to you in your life. Yeah. You know, if I could go back and tell myself that, like, Michelle, stop it. Yeah. You know, what, what's this going to cost you if you don't give up? Yeah. Right. What's your limit? Because of course we always raise the bar to our boundary. I can't imagine getting in trouble with the law. I can't imagine losing my job, drinking and driving. Well, I just kept moving the yeah. boundary to the point of I'm going to die if I don't stop. Yeah. And just like you said, I think it's so important for people to know that they don't have to go that far down the path, you know, and even the total flip side of when I rarely, but sometimes encounter like super high level entrepreneurs or very spiritually evolved people, and they don't touch a drop of alcohol because, you know, there just isn't a reason to, and they make that, they make that choice of free will. I'm like, wow. So instead of me thinking not drinking is this scarlet letter and I can't do that anymore. It's like truly some of the most evolved humans and successful humans opt to not drink at all because life is too precious and life is too busy and they actually want to be present to it. They want to be in control. It's like just for the health of it. Yeah. I don't have to be, it doesn't mean that I'm pregnant or that I'm an alcoholic. It just means that it's not adding value to my life. It's dehydrating me. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't like not being in control. I like the mental clarity. I don't like sleep disruption. Right. All of those are wonderful things that towards the end, probably you as well as me, that, that didn't matter. Right. Right. Absolutely. Reevaluate that relationship with any substance or any piece of food or anything that you have in your life, because if it's not adding value and making you a better person, it's holding you back. Look at that. Yeah. I heard that recently and I was like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about it that way. Where like we talk about, you know, today's society, especially in my world, it's like, I'm cutting out dairy. I don't do gluten. I'm, you know, we're talking about all these things but we're, most people are drinking multiple glasses of wine every night. I'm like, you have to look at alcohol. If you're not willing to look at, do I actually have a problem with alcohol? Bare minimum, look at it as you look at dairy and gluten. You know, how is this serving you? Is it something you should cut out? And I think that thought process, because we live in such extremes in our society, like I'm not an alcoholic. I don't need to cut out alcohol. Alcohol does not do much good for anybody. If we look Absolutely. at it as truly a substance. Yeah, Absolutely. It's so interesting because I'll see those, those, you know, wellness individuals and like my, my sister's a nutritionist and it's like so much of the meal plans and that kind of the carrot to get you excited is don't worry. You don't have to skip your evening glass of vino, right? It's like already, like it's already going to be an objective. So we're prepared yeah. To let you know that you can still keep that as long as you do everything else. And it's like, but if you want to have fat loss, like this, this has, this is empty calories. It has no nutritional value to your life whatsoever. Yeah. You know, I know. Um, it's just, it's that bananas of that, of that world that we live in. And, you know, all we can do is just be strong women and independent women. And, and you know, we, we don't shame people who do this because who are we to do that? But it's okay for people like us to be able to be proud to say, you know what, I'm a person that chooses not to drink. And that doesn't mean anything 
on you because we're pro sobriety, not anti drinking. We just know that it doesn't serve us anymore. But by us being proud and talking about it doesn't automatically mean that we're shaming people who do. And there's that constant, you know, tip in between that there is so much shaming and motherhood is so freaking hard. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's just love each other from where we're at and respect whether we're non-drinkers, non-smokers, non-meat eaters, non-dairy. There's so many cool alternatives for this like inclusivity these days that just be you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love what you said. We're pro sobriety, but not anti-drinking. Yeah. Cause I'm not here to shame anybody at all, but I mean, we both know too, like And it's interesting. I almost, because I'm very non, I'm not anti-drinking at all. I have lots of friends that, you know, drink, but the more and more I think about had I tried to get sober in a social media world, because I got sober 23 years ago. Mm -hmm. So had I gotten sober, if I had been a new mom or just had social media around where that's so much of what I was seeing truly promoted I think it would have been detrimental to my life. You know, absolutely. 100%. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Every, you know, the explore page and everywhere it's means this means that. It's just like, it's, it's overbearing. And it's really hard for a lot of the women that I work with and a lot of the women in the community. It's just like, they feel like the odds are against them and they already feel like an alien because they are the only person who isn't. And they really want to drink. It's right. just that they can't. And yeah. so, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. You know, on the flip side of that, though, I think it's really cool how social media can be used for people like connecting like you and I, and to know that we can start the sober curious movement and start looking at this relationship way before it becomes this huge problem in our life. And I think that people standing up and saying, this doesn't serve a purpose to me versus I'm an alcoholic, I can't manage my right. life and right. I've lost everything. It kind of is allowing people at the front end, this, I call it 50 shades of gray. It's like, there's all these different areas on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder, and you can stop at any time. So those ones at the beginning who are more like, oh, this isn't serving me. I'll take a virgin mojito. It allows the other people to stand up and say, I'll take one of those too. Right. The shame's not as deep because they haven't allowed their life to become completely unmanageable yet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is, such a gigantic gap, right? Between, you know, do I have an alcohol problem, but I have to be an alcoholic if I'm going to stop drinking and I need to go to that point where I need to go to AA meetings or I need to seek, you know, a a 30 day rehab or something like that. And we need a whole lot more in that gap serving women, especially that are allowing them to talk about this conversation, like maybe I'm drinking too much, but they're fearful to do that because of the fear of being labeled. Oh my gosh, are you an alcoholic? You know, and that's how it's talked about in the South still. I mean, it's like, you know, it's whispered about, and it's just crazy to me that we can't have, it's one thing to be loud and proud about, I am absolutely an alcoholic and I've been sober for this long, but there needs to be more of a cultural shift to people in that gray area that you're talking about of just, I'm, I'm kind of exploring this. I'm looking at it. I'm curious. And the more women can talk about that, I think the healthier it will be out there for women. So I want to hear 
your Instagram recovery is the new black, which is like the coolest name ever. Tell me how all that came to be like, and what, what is that? What work are you doing around that? All of that good stuff. Yes. So of course, recovery is the new black. The idea came from, you know, orange is the new black, me having 20 some years in the correctional environment and the new oh my gosh I just got the tie to that that's (laughs) so amazing I love it yes and so you know like recovery there's different ways different fads different trends different I don't care why you're wanting to explore your relationship whether it's a fad or a challenge or you you deem yourself you know an alcoholic it doesn't matter let's just make this lifestyle of being a non-drinker as fun and enjoy your life as possible And so, you know, I started like, okay, I know that I'm not alone. So let's just use Instagram as your personal diary and just start talking about hard things, new drinks that you found, you know, a new book that you read, a new podcast that was inspiring. And it just kind of like kept going and growing. And I eventually moved the platform over to a Facebook private woman only community where we can start having more conversations and more of a safe, secure place at that time. And they just kept coming by the thousands, you know, especially that middle chunk in that area that says, I'm a mom. I feel like I'm getting sucked into this vortex. I see my husband's getting upset. My kids are starting to notice. What am I going to do? Because I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I see that this is becoming an unhealthy pattern. Wow. Right. So let's all start talking about these hard things about how everything that we're connected to as mothers there's so many other ideas that we can do that don't have alcohol as the centerpiece in our, in our life. Right. So it's like, yes. let's do things outside that it's not the establishment of brewery or a vineyard, but there's still alcohol for people to enjoy if right. they want to. Right. So there's so many fun things, farmers markets and concerts and escape rooms. There's things where it's not always about the boobs right. and you know, it just grew into these conversations, turning into these programs, turning into this movement of let's, you know, make different mocktail recipes. Let's wear t-shirts that say, you know, I'm proud to Mm. be a person in recovery. You wouldn't imagine the high fives I get in Target, you know, that it's just like, wow, me too. I had a guy walk out the other day out of the supermarket with a 24 pack of beer. And he's like, I'm going to be you someday. And I was just like, he gave me a high five. And I was just like, this is so incredible that I can be that for somebody that hope. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Oh, girl, you are doing such amazing work in the world. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about this Facebook group, because I Mm -hmm. see you on Instagram every day. That's kind of where I show up the most. So how many people are in there? You said programs and things like that. Give me the details of that. Yes, there is, geez, I think there's around seven, 8,000 in there right now. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, just, I want it to be a safe space for learning, not, you know, oh, I want to recruit you or, you know, I want you to buy something because they get enough of that. I just want people to have a list of podcasts, a library of books, Mm. mixes of really cool drinks, refusal skills. If you're getting ready to go to an event, that's going to be extremely triggering for you. 
And so a lot of people use it as their diary. They use it for accountability. You know, we have women in there that are in the bathroom saying, okay, I'm getting through this, but I'm feeling like I'm going to freak out. What should I do? And people will come up with a list of get the heck out of there. Um, All the way to this is what you should say to, you know, give a hug to the host and say, I've got to run and go. So it's just this community of just women where they just feel heard. They feel safe and they feel empowered. And that's, that's what I want to keep it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love that. First of all, I need to get my hiney in there because that sounds <laughs> amazing. So incredible. I mean, that's what we need as women in every area. You know, it's a lot of what I do with my health and fitness coaching is just that accountability. And, you know, when somebody's like trying to be better with their nutrition and it's like pizza just got brought into the office, what do I do? And then everyone yeah. kind of swoops in and, and gives those solutions. And so you you're not alone. You know, I think that's so much of getting unstuck with whatever you're struggling with. I know for you and I, I'm sure that you would agree with me that there is no possible way we could have stuck with sobriety if it wasn't for the rooms of AA. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that program. It can be your Facebook group. It can be a different path. And there are finally, I feel like more and more paths coming into existence. You know, there's a lot with, I know my church does, you know, something along these same lines where it's not necessarily saying I'm an alcoholic, but allowing women to just kind of open the door to explore, like you said, their relationship with alcohol. Yeah. And it's just this imperfect world that it's this community. I think that's what we all want as women. We just want to, we want to be needed and valued and heard and have connection, especially when our kiddos are really young. It's like, we feel like we're losing, we're doing this whole motherhood thing wrong. I feel like, you know, I felt like a horrible mom because I worked and a horrible employee because I was a mom. We are expected to do so much way more than my mother and grandmother had to do. And Uh, we have to do it with a smile on our face. And it's like, at what cost? And a perfect body and have dinner on the table with our glass of wine, like the whole thing. It's crazy. It is. And it's not real life. And I think that's where the Pinterest kind of Instagram world, when I was scrolling through that, trying to fight for breastfeeding for my first child, I was just exhausted postpartum depression. And I would just see these women and it wasn't real. And I was like, is this literally what I have to live up to? Because there's no way and no perfect house, no perfect body. Nothing is more important than me showing up at the healthiest version of myself from the people who I love. And I have to be okay with, you know, it might be a cleaning service that comes in instead of that extra bottle of wine a week or, you know, marriage counseling, or I'm going to have HelloFresh come in instead of making these elaborate meals that nobody eats and the green beans end up on the floor. It's like those expectations need to be adjusted accordingly because what we used to do, we can't necessarily do at the same level, nor should we have to, but we want to keep one upping our previous self in addition to what we see is going on and we're all a hot mess we just some (laughs) of us look different when we're showing it to the world yeah and it's okay and it's a season right it's a season of motherhood and we're going to have different seasons constantly so what we think is really hard now it's not going to last forever yeah right it's going to be something else and we get to look forward to that Yeah. Oh, I love that permission so much. I'm a big believer in just 
giving women permission. I mean, I have always believed that anything that makes you happier is best for your family. You know, if or going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru is going to make you be able to keep your sanity, go through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Like don't feel the pressures to succumb to this model of perfection that doesn't really exist, you know? Yes. And yes. realizing that women all have their strengths, you know? I can remember in early motherhood feeling very less than, this is kind of off topic, but feeling very less than than one of my best friends because she was like the Pinterest mom. That was that was her through and through. That was her superpower. That was her talent. And it finally dawned on me that I was like, oh, that's like her thing, mm -hmm. you know? And I have strengths and I have things that I can bring to the table, but that is totally not my thing. And I also remember the shift that I was like, but thank goodness my kids get to go to her house and do all that stuff. And I don't have to. <laughs> I love it. So really honoring what your thing is and it mm -hmm. cannot be all of it. You know, nope. it cannot be all of it. And we are, I give you full permission to bring in all the help that you can. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because that, that Pinterest person that was me for a version of my life, I nobody saw the rest of it of me right. getting smashed after I took that picture. Right. Like there's right. so much behind that smile that you just didn't know about. And I think one of the cool things with like the mindset work and sobriety or just being the best version of yourself, you know, we talk about all these like habits and these goals and that they do add up to really big things. And I just like envision myself as who is the Michelle in six months or a year from now? Yeah. What does she eat? What does she drink? What does she wear? How am I get, be her right now? Yes. Because if she's sober, what does she do every day to maintain sobriety? She reads out of the big book. She drinks her water. She follows people that inspire her on Instagram and do more of what she is because every day you're becoming the best version of her. And that's like with my health and wellness, I follow you and I devour those recipes that you have. <laughs> and I share them with my community yeah. because that's what it is. If I want to be healthy and fit, I have to do the discipline and the work that it takes to be that person. Yeah. Because it's uh, not easy. So good. So good. And that's a lot of the coaching that I do. It's like, what is that vision for the future? What is that identity that we want to live into? And I have a sticker from a girlfriend that says, be her now. What you just oh, said. Be I love it. Her now. And when you can have some type of a morning routine or process where you're you've crafted this vision of who you want to be or this identity or this, these future goals, you can look at that every single morning and you can step into those habits and those routines and things that embody that future self. And it's not off in the future. You're doing it right now, which is so beautiful. Oh, I love that. So I want to know this, are there any, besides your Facebook, which we will link in the show notes, we'll put your Instagram in the show notes for everybody, but are there any like books or you said podcasts or things like that, that you really recommend for anybody that might be listening and they're like, Ooh, I kind of think I need to maybe explore this. Yes. Lots of them. Um, I'll give you a few. I think one that I always absolutely love go to is Annie Grace, This Naked Mind. And it's really about the science and the psychology behind drinking. So it's not a memoir. It's not telling you you should or shouldn't. It's giving you the basic facts about how alcohol affects the human body. You can't argue with science, right? Yeah. You're going to have this information. So she also has a podcast, This Naked Mind, 
That is my number one go-to for family that have a loved one that's struggling and somebody who's just curious about where their relationship with alcohol or any substance is. So that would be my number one. I have a friend, Jill, who has the Sober Powered podcast. She is a, um, she works in this, she, I don't know if she's a biologist or a scientist. She is amazing. And she has a podcast as well. And she's on Instagram, the Sober Powered. Those are the, the things that I think are the best place to start for anybody. And from there, there's so many more doors that open, but I think that's always been a really helpful place to get people started without, you know, judgment or fear of, Oh, they're already labeling me this or that, because that doesn't labels don't necessarily matter. And if that's going to keep you from um, exploring something, because I don't want this label, then don't label yourself as anything. Right. I, I love that you just, I have not read the naked mind and oh my gosh, I just read it. I just wrote it down. I'm going to Amazon it to my house tomorrow. Yes. I love that you talked about that book being from kind of the science background because, and, and I'll touch on this and I mean, we could talk for three hours, but we'll wrap after, but the science behind this, I can remember even in the big book, you know, right before the book starts, it's called the doctor's opinion for those people that haven't read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it talks about the science from a physician standpoint. And I remember reading that the first time and it just lifted the shame. You know, this wasn't a character problem. This wasn't a willpower problem. Like this was something that science and doctors could identify. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't realize is addiction, whether it's an eating disorder, alcohol, drugs, you know, people think alcohol is like a liver problem. It is a brain problem. It is a brain disorder. And when you really start to understand the brain disorder behind your problem, it allows you to distance yourself from it and not carry that cloak of shame so much. And And then seek help because you're like, oh, this is actually a physiological thing that I need to go treat or I need to, you know, if you're not that far down the path yet, I need to make some changes that are going to change this for myself. Right. Absolutely. And being mindful of it. You know, it's like, I think one of the best pieces of feedback I've gotten from women that I've worked with and that I know is set a limit, right? So set that boundary of, okay, I'm going to go seven days without drinking. And when they can't keep a promise to themselves, mm-hmm. they're like, oh my goodness, you didn't just tell me I'm an alcoholic or that I'm pro- I have a problematic relationship with drinking. I just noticed that I that's my natural reaction in my habit, in my tool, in my reward of self-care. That doesn't sound right. And I don't like that this thing has more hold on me than I thought. Right. Right. Yes. So yes. it's like, wow, I need to reel this back in and um, I need to to make some changes here. But yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like being hijacked. I would, you know, that phone list went out the window when I, that first drink, I had a choice. Other than that, bets were off. I was, absolutely. I was hijacked. I don't know how I got there, but I am there and there's no one that's going to stop me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what happens with our brains. I mean, our brains truly that's for, for families or loved ones listening. I mean, that's what happens with that first 
drink. And I think that's also like, it breaks my heart sometimes when people are like, well, they drank, you know, they did have a couple of drinks this one night. And I'm like, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, because that's the hijacking. And that's the, like, it, it grabbed them again. Like there's not a, when you're a true alcoholic and you've crossed that line, you don't then dabble, you know, there, that just doesn't exist for us. It's, it doesn't. And they wait for that third door. We all want to moderate. If I could still yeah. drink with moderation, I would. But it's like the insanity of that hamster wheel. How many times are you willing to sacrifice your health, your family, everything in order to try to drink a mind-altering chemical that is destroying you and essentially killing you from the inside out? No amount is good for you. You know, it's, it's cause it's, there's links to causing cancer on the cancer fact finder now, which is really cool. And the American, you know, cancer association is coming out and saying, no amount is good for you. So that idea of holding on to the fact that red wine, one glass is great for your heart at night, eat some blueberries and a piece of dark chocolate and you have maxed your antioxidants for the day and you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. Oh my gosh. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for your time today, your knowledge, your experience. It's just such a gift in this world. And, and like I said, I will plug all of your resources in below. Um, And really thank you for just being a sister in sobriety. Like you said, I know this is just the beginning of our friendship and we're going to do some big things in this world together. We are. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, you guys. So good. So good. So good. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tag Michelle, tag me when you share the episodes on your social media. Um, We would love it if you go to Apple Podcasts and give the show a review. I'm actually going to do a big giveaway for anybody that's done a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, It's a $400 gift basket of all kinds of growth tools for you. So make sure um, you do that and I'll be pulling somebody's name from from that list. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. We will see you next week.